have uh, a very important, I mean, I don't guess important, but I have a very important individual who's going to be coming on with me in just a few uh, minutes or seconds. Um, uh, it is Black History Month. And um, during Black History Month, you know, we talk about all of these really amazing people who've um, paved the way, who've gone through the struggle in order for us as Black people to, to live how we do. And um, a lot of times in the Black community, we tend to not um, pay attention to one of the most important things probably in our day-to-day -day life, which is our mental health. Uh, we tend to ignore it. We tend to make fun of it when it relates to, or when it refers to other someone else. We tend to uh, um, dismiss it. Uh, we tend to not pay attention or pretend not to pay attention. And when it's happening to us, and when we're we're not mentally healthy, we at times don't know what to do about it. We don't know how to deal with it. We don't know who to talk to. We don't know. Because um, it's so taboo and there's so much stigma associated with it, especially when you're black. I mean, it, it just it just seems like it's a lot worse for us. And I, I, I don't know why that is. Um, maybe my guest today can, can shed some light and, and, and shed some background on, on why um, that may be the case. But um, um, I strongly believe that without your mental health, you're unable to, 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 to operate at your maximum capacity. And we may think, oh, it's not important, or, or she just have a little crazy in her, or, um, or we, just, we just don't pay attention to it. But it's so very important for us to look after our minds, you know, um, just like we look after our bodies and we make sure we put you up ourselves and we we're in the fancy schools and we always on flick and our nails did and our hair done and our makeup um, look like we, we snatched and all of that good stuff. We also need to pay very close attention to our mental health. And we need to, um, I remember talking to a friend of mine once and he said to me, I'm going to see a therapist. And I go, you can see a therapist? He goes, I'm like, is anything wrong? He goes, no, nothing's wrong. I go, so why do you want to see a therapist? He goes, that's exactly the point. Nothing's wrong. And I want to keep it that way. <laughs> and you know what? That was, that was very enlightening for me um, to, to hear him say that and to admit that, hey, I don't want to get to a stage where I cannot deal with life or whatever life throws at me. I want to be prepared in the event that I have stresses and things to make me depressed, that I'm able to cope and I'm able to handle it accordingly. And I don't know if we'll, we'll dwell on that throughout the conversation because she comes with a wealth uh, of knowledge. Um, she is a, a young woman. Conveniently, we look like twins today. I hope you guys know who is who. It was not planned. Um, she is of Beijing descent, but she considers herself to be Beijing, um, living in, in Toronto. And I think you will you will be able to learn a lot from her. And as I encourage every single one of you, a lot of people, they wait until after and then they come in my inbox, flooding me with questions about things I cannot answer because I'm not an expert. Take the time now and ask the questions. Don't be scared. Don't be shy. 
um, there is nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to 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 be worried about. Who's gonna think what of you based on whatever question you ask? Ask your questions. Uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about um, postpartum depression. Um, so if you're pregnant or if you probably just had a new baby, you wanna stay tuned for this show. All right, guys. I wanna I wanna just shout out my folks who are coming on. Um, quite a few folks have, have already logged in. I want to say hi, Barbie Boo. Barbie's locked in in Toronto. Uh, Linda is locked in all the way in the UK. Um, I want to say special good afternoon to you guys, and thank you so very much. Um, a few other folks are locked in, but I'm not too sure exactly who they are, where they're locked in from. Drop me a line. Let me know where you're locked in, and, and, and let me know that you're there, that you, know, you can see me, you know, and that you're looking forward to, to the show. Um, today, so I want to know where you link, locked in from. If you locked in in Dominica, if you locked in 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 the U.S., um, drop me a, a, a note, drop me a line, and let me know you're you're tuned in. All right, so we're gonna get ready for my um, guest who is uh, standing by. Um, she's actually in the lobby waiting to to come on, and um, as you see. To my side, you know, she is uh, Dr. Uh, Fatima Jackson-Best, um, and I am I'm honored to have her on. I, we connected through Carrie Scholar, um, and those of you who don't know what Carrie Scholar is, Carrie Scholar is uh, a foundation, uh, well, it's a mentorship, a mentorship program that has been set up. It's a nonprofit organization um, spearheaded by my dear sister, Gerald Joseph, um, so we connected through there, and um, I think you can uh, get a lot of information from her today. All right, so we're gonna get ready for um, for Dr. Bess. I'll find out from her what she prefers to be called. Um, but before we do that, I just want to congratulate um, Gloria McLawrence, uh, winner of our faculty mug. You see the faculty mug right there? She won faculty our very first faculty mug and you can win your faculty mug too all you got to do is share this and tag as many people as you can and um if your post generates the most movement you win yourself a faculty mug it's simple as that it's very easy to get a, a mug from faculty right so we're standing by for dr best and she's coming on right about now hi dr best hello jail how are you? I'm good. How are you? I love your scarf. I love yours too. We're twinning in. Look at that. <laughs> no plan. Mine is actually like a sweater. It's oh, mine is too. Yeah. So but mine is like closes. Mm. Yeah. You cold where you are? Um, well, I'm in Toronto, so I think you know what the <laughs> current climate is. <laughs> I heard today they said frigid February. That's exactly what it is. You calling that frigid? Frigid February. Oh, really? That's what it is. <laughs> well, it's freaking cold February. <laughs> uh, thank you so much uh, for being here with us. Uh, first of all, I just want to start by asking you, what do you prefer to call? Is it okay to call you Fatima? Is it okay to call? Yes. Okay, so we cool, man. We hanging out <laughs> on a lovely Saturday afternoon, and I hope that um, we can bring a lot of information and share a lot. Um, of your, what you know, what you know best, what you do best. Um, conveniently, your last name is best. 
<laughs> so I guess it's, 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 it all makes sense, right? Yeah, it all worked out. Yes, it definitely works out. Um, I First of all, I like to start every single show by um, getting to know my guests um, and getting to know who they, who they look at themselves as, you know? Um, we all can have our own ideologies on how we see ourselves compared to how people see us. And um, I'd like to find out a little bit about you and, and who is Fatima Jackson Best. Well, um, firstly, thank you so much for having me on your show. Um, Fatima Jackson Best is a Black Muslim woman. I was born in Toronto, Canada. I was pretty much raised here um, for the most part of my life, except for an extended period where I was brought up in the States up until I was about eight years old. But my entire family moved back to Toronto when I was eight, and I've uh, lived here most of my life um, ever since with a couple of interruptions. Uh, my dad is from Barbados. He was born in Britain, Barbados. Um, his parents were both born in Barbados as well. My mom is African-American. She was born in the Midwest. My parents were actually, they met in Toronto and got married and had me shortly after. And my brother's um, in the States. So yeah, that's my background. But both of my parents uh, were Muslim at the time of meeting. We were born Muslim. Um, I grew up with a very strong Islamic presence and um, force in my life through education, through just being in my community. Um, and I also got very, very uh, Caribbean, so with a strong awareness of where Barbados was, where the Caribbean was, and also an understanding of other places in the Caribbean because my community was made up of so many people from across the region. So we had Jamaicans, Trinidadians, Guyanese, um, and all kinds of mixes in between. So, um, yeah, so we, I grew up with a very strong, I would say, Caribbean background, but also a very strong African-American background as well from my mom. And then in a Canadian context, so it's kind of like I grew up in a very mixed environment uh, with all types of people, all types of friends from all types of backgrounds. And that has really probably shaped me into the person that I am, which is someone who loves to find out information, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> as a researcher. Great. Um, so tell us a little bit about your, your childhood growing up, because one of the things that you mentioned, of course, is you were raised in a, a Muslim household. Um, so what was it like growing up in a Muslim household with so many different things happening around you? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean... Growing up, Muslim, it's like growing up Christian. You don't really know. Like, you go to the mosque the same way that you go to church, you know, once a week or a couple times a month or however it may go for you. So you kind of, I was kind of immersed in a, in a Muslim environment. I went to an Islamic um, elementary school um, and here in Canada. And I also was educated in schools in my own community. Um, and I also went to a public school during high school and at certain points in my elementary school. Um, so, you know, growing up Muslim was kind of like something that almost was just normal for me because everybody around me or so many people around me were Muslim, but because my family, my father's family and my mom's family both have such multi-faith backgrounds, um, Christianity, Rastafarianism, agnostic people, uh, you know, etc. I always was aware of other religions as well and understood that they were all part of, you know, the 
the family of religions, essentially. Um, so yeah, growing up, I grew up with uh, a lot of Muslims from different backgrounds. I went to a private school that had, you know, a really diverse classroom. I had classmates that were from Thailand and from Syria, Lebanon, Egypt, Pakistan, India, Somalia, you know, Sudan, everywhere. But I was one of like the very few, I would say probably less than four people that were actually Caribbean background. So that made, you know, me always stand out because I was, you know, black, but black in a very particular way that wasn't, you know, from the East. I was, you know, black from right here, right? So that always gave me a different point of reference and point of view and also a very different experience. So my Islam and being a Muslim was always tied up in also what it meant to be black, what it meant to be a woman in Islam or a young girl in Islam growing up in the religion. Um, so it was a really enriched experience. Like I, my, I had a, you know, a pretty normal childhood. I grew up with both my parents. They divorced later on in life, but uh, or later on in our life. But you know, for the most part, I was like very immersed in family and in community and just pretty aware of you know what it meant being in this world, in this body. Wow. What did your parents do um, while you, when you were a child? Pardon me? What did your parents do for a living when you, as a child? Well, my mom was actually a stay-at-home mom for most of my childhood. Yeah, she stayed home with us. She was like the quintessential mom. She used to store our clothes. She used to make all kinds of like amazing dinners and foods, pick us up from school. That was when we were living in Florida. And my dad at the time was an architect. Um, and he had come from Barbados and he was um, always interested in like design. So he did architecture, then we moved back to Toronto. My mom uh, went back to school and she ended up um, working in different sectors, but mainly in the healthcare sector actually. And my dad, um, he had a total switch in careers and he went to work at um, a place called the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, which is a mental health institution in Toronto. And so, wow. yeah, so he made like a complete 180. And so both my parents were working in healthcare from the time that I was, you know, in my late teens, mid, you know, in my teens. And that really impacted the work that I think that I ended up doing, which was in health and um, research. And um, yeah, like my parents were really, um, you know, really ambitious people in their own careers. They still are. Um, and they are like people who are who strive for excellence in their field. And I think that me and my brothers have always, you know, seen that and admired that. They're two really admirable people, my parents. I'm really lucky to have them. Your favorite thing, anything you remember growing up, just things that you do as a child that was, that brought you joy. Oh, the favorite things that I used to do when I was a kid, definitely um, going to school was like a big one for me. I used to love school. Uh, I was always excited to go to school, and actually that lasted up until I probably, not really finished my PhD, but definitely up until like undergrad, I used to enjoy school. High school, I did not enjoy school. But um, yeah, like growing up, I used to really like school. I used to love to read. I still love reading. I can read a book like in a day if it's a really good book. Um, and I used to love to hang out with my friends. Oh my gosh, I was uh, very uh, shy, but also social. So I um, was always, you know, hanging out with friends or talking on the phone with friends or, you know, interacting with people that were in my class and my cousins and people in my community. Sorry. So I was saying, yeah, I just, those were the things that I used to really enjoy, just being around people and like reading and being a bit of a nerd, but also social. 
what was life like for you as a black woman growing up? Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I know, you know what, as soon as you say what is life like as a black woman, I'm thinking about when I recognized and realized that I was a black woman, which was probably when I was about five years old. Um, I was living in Florida and there was a girl in our neighborhood and there was two girls I used to hang out with, Denise and a girl named Crystal. Crystal was white and Denise was black. And so we were talking about what, like, who was white and who was black. And Crystal said, Denise is black, but Fatima is white. And I was like, okay, all right. And like, I didn't question it because I was like, okay, never heard like this black white thing before. So I was like, okay, cool. So I think at the time she had said that I was lighter than something. I don't remember what it was, but something about my skin color being lighter than Denise's, which made me white. So I was like, okay, sounds great. You know, you're five, four years old, four or five. So I went home to my dad, who's like Asian and like he doesn't play around. So I come to the house from playing with these girls and I say to my dad, hey, like I'm white. And my dad was like, what? <laughs> I said, yeah, Crystal said I'm white. And my dad said, you're not white, you're black. And he sat down with me and we talked about what being black was. And he said, like, you know, I'm black, you're black. Black is like, you know, where our ancestors come from. Your grandparents are black. It's a way of being. And Barbados people are, a lot of people are black. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm black. And so that really attuned me to like what blackness was. And then I went back to Toronto and ended up um, going to um, a private school where there was such a diversity of students there. That's where I really saw that I was black. And so growing up to be a black woman, um, or grew up as a black girl, was always kind of negotiating my identity, like where do I fit in, how do I fit in, what kind of, you know, um, images of blackness are people going to project onto me and what am I going to project as my image of blackness. Um, so, you know, that was always, it was always a kind of a learning experience growing up. But I think that once I hit like 15, I just became way more comfortable in my blackness and way more understanding of my blackness. And blackness, um, you know, becoming and being a black woman has always been a huge source of pride for me. Um, once I understood what being black was and like the honor of what a black woman is, um, it's been like a real, a real journey. But, you know, going from, you know, a kid where you don't even know what race is to becoming aware and negotiating and understanding identity and how race, um, you know, factors into that. That's, you know, I guess where I am now and what I continue to, to deal with and to explore what a black woman is and what that means for my identity. What exactly got you to and and what did you learn about being a black woman that really got you to the point where you are accepted of who you are and love you who you are even more than you did before? Um, what about it? Because a lot of people might wonder, you know, like we're all women, like what is so special to be black and what makes you special, you know? Hmm. Well, I mean, I grew up with like such powerful black women in my life. Women like my grandmother, um, my on my father's side, she's from Barbados. She came to this country, um, you know, in the 70s, I think, by herself, you know, to like just because she felt like it and she thought it would give her and her sons a good, a better opportunity. But my brothers, um, sorry, her sons, uh, who were brothers, obviously, with her. So I stand on her shoulders. My mom's mother is also like, you know, one of the most powerful black women that I know. She's a Rastafarian, African-American. She's such a bohemian, um, free spirit. 
Um, you know, she's an incredibly strong woman when you hear about the things that she's seen in her life. She grew up in the South uh, of the United States, so you can imagine, and like, you know, the 50s. So you can imagine the things that she saw. My mom is an incredibly strong woman. My, um, you know, my cousin, who's an older man, his wife is a woman that's always been really influential in my life. And then so many mentors that I've had just, you know, professionally and in school and in my community, that has really um, given me a pride of like what black womanhood is. And it also allows me to accept, like it has allowed me to accept that I am also a black woman and this is what I can be in my own image. All of these amazing women, you know, that resonate with me, I can take, you know, different lessons from them and guidance from them and internalize it and become the you know the woman that I really want to be so I mean being a woman of course is honorable being a, a human being who's a decent person that is an honorable thing um but you know I speak from a particular point of reference and that is as a black woman and every day I'm thankful for being born in the skin and this body that I'm in <laughs> thank you thank you for that we we uh, we need to take a faculty break, you know. Sure. Look at that. Look at that. Cup is nice. Fatima cup, right? <laughs> yes, my grandmother gave me this cup. Like I can't forget what my name starts with. When she gave it to me for Christmas, I was so happy. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Always nice when you get gifts that are so personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of thought that went into their life. Whether or not you want to believe that it might just be a $2 cup, right? Yeah. There's a lot of mm-hmm. that goes into that. Um, okay, so um, you grew up in a household, in, of course, in a, in, a, in a Muslim household, and you decided, okay, I'm going to further my studies. I'm going to get into, um, into the sciences, into public health. Uh, this is really what I I want to I want to feature or, or or pursue. Why did you decide to, besides having the influences of your parents who were involved in the in the health um in the health department or or in health, what made you want to get into public health specifically, and why did you choose where to study and what what, what were some of the things that guided you to that. Yeah, well, you know, I often think about my path and where I've come from. Um, I actually come from a social sciences background. I did anthropology in my undergrad and Latin American and Caribbean studies at York University. Uh, That was my first degree. It was a double major. And I ended up, of course, I wanted to do a master's. Like, I could say from the first two weeks of school that I started undergrad, I knew that I was going to do a PhD. Like, there was something inside me. I saw, like professors who were young, I saw the kind of environment and the kind of um, thinking that could happen there, and it was so intoxicating for me. I thought, yeah, I'm going to do this. And that was honestly, like, very shortly into my first, very first year. So something that I always wanted to do, um, you know, get a, an advanced degree, uh, but I didn't know it was going to be public health. Um, I ended up doing my master's at York University as well in social anthropology, but I skewed towards more of a medical anthropology uh, focus. And so uh, through that, I got to study how culture uh, impacts how people understand health or interact with health or how healthcare systems have their own culture and other people, um, you know, their hurdles and barriers that they, they face trying to access it. So those are the kinds of subjects that I was experiencing, I'm sorry, exploring. And then I ended up doing this specialized diploma in health services and policy research. And I did this practicum at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, which is where my dad 
was working for years as a chaplain, um, which is a person that gives spiritual and religious care to people who are, you know, at the end of their lives or in crisis. So, you know, I ended up um, looking at a program there that was developing uh, that was specifically for Black Canadians. And so I was looking at questions of identity. How did diverse Black communities in Canada, you know, how would a mental health care service even service all of our diverse backgrounds? Because some of us come from, you know, the Caribbean, some of us come from Black Canadian backgrounds, some of us come from American backgrounds, African uh, backgrounds, South America, Central America, etc. It's such a diverse community we have here. And so I did a thesis about that. Um, and I also got to do this hands-on practicum and do research at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. And I worked with a really, really popular psychiatrist. His name is Juan McKenzie. He's actually half Dominican, uh, now that I think about it. Yeah, he's actually a Dominican um, psychiatrist. Uh, like, probably one of the most brilliant psychologists, psychiatrists that you'll ever meet. Um, but he gave me this hands-on training. I got to work on all these cool projects. And, you know, that really gave me the impetus to want to do more um you know, work. And so I thought I was going to do a PhD in anthropology. I actually applied to two schools, rejected from both. Wow, what a time. Thought that I was never going to recover. Um, but, you know, I took the year to go work a little bit and just refine my focus and, you know, refine what I wanted to do because I knew I wanted to stay and do, stay in the area of mental health, but, you know, I needed something that was a little bit more applied. And so this program at UFT came about. What <laughs> Um, I mean, it was super tough. I thought I was never going to get out of bed. I was so sad, you know. Um, but I remember a friend at the time told me, you know, Fatima, next year you're going to be laughing. You know, you're going to be in a space where you're going to see so many more possibilities. And sure enough, a year later, I was in a way better situation. Wow. Yes, difficult at the time, but I just took that and renewed my focus. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. No problem. <coughs> okay, if you're just joining us, I want to remind you to share the link with someone. Um, also want to connect with um, with Fatima later on after the show, or even um, if you want to follow her, she's on Instagram. She's on Facebook. She's also on Twitter. Um, all her social media handles are right in the link, either above or below, depending on where you're checking out this uh, video. Um, you can always go on after um, and, and ask questions. She's also a mentor with Kara Scholar. So I think she is she's someone with a lot of knowledge, a lot of information, and she can assist you um, or try to answer your questions whatever questions and I hope that um, you have questions waiting uh, you've, you've taken notes of your questions um, for, for Tina because I think um, we need to educate ourselves and sometimes we need to talk to others so that they can um, share with us their experiences or what they think might be the best thing or the best um, the best um, route for us. Um, I just want to um, get into the, the link to show you know, some of the folks who have been coming on. Um, Joelle came on. Of course, I have to make sure I dig her up because she, of course, is uh, the one who kind of connected us. And she says, you two are styling and profiling. <laughs> 
So she's locked in and she's in Barbados. So so um, big up to you, uh, Jarrell. Um, we also have a watch party that's going on on Facebook. And we have a few people like Prince, who is, I think Prince is in Germany. Would you, I, could, I don't want to be, I don't want to be wrong. But I know he's somewhere in Europe um, who's locked in. We have O'Neill, who's in Dominica. And of course, Elon, who is out there in Tampa, Florida. Um, who's locked in on the watch party? So we have a few ways that you know you can you can connect and you can uh, let us uh, let us know that you're enjoying the show, or just let us know that you're here, or just tell us we cute. You know whatever you want to you want you want to um, in terms of connecting with us here on the show today. All right, so we're gonna get back to um, to uh, um, Fatima. And I uh, was just getting into probably the, the, the gist of the conversation because um, she, she did do a bit of study, a bit of research as it relates to mental health, especially um, with, with uh, uh, really realizing how it affects the Caribbean, Caribbean people and uh, what Caribbean people go through on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, um, I'm going to start calling you Dr. Bess. Because <laughs> you know, because I feel sometimes people take things people more seriously when you, you know, when you go, you know, Doctor Best. So, uh, as it relates to your studies, um, what did you find when you you started researching mental health as it relates to the Caribbean versus North America, for example? Well, I mean. <clears throat> There are two different contexts, right? We have to be like completely clear. And one thing that I didn't get to, well, before I started to have a little cough, sorry about that, guys. But, um, you know, one thing that I started to notice when I was doing my PhD was that there wasn't a lot of information about Black Canadians, and there surely wasn't a lot of information about the Caribbean. So even though, you know, we can look at research that's about Black women, you know, in the United States and kind of get an idea of how mental health and mental illness affects women there. It's always going to be different when you're looking at somebody's specific context. And so, um, you know, that was a huge factor for me doing research in Barbados and, you know, also for doing research in Canada. You know, it was always about seeing that there wasn't a lot of opportunities and there wasn't a lot of um, information about these groups and that, you know, if nobody else was you know if we're all noticing that there's gaps what can we do other than fill them right so you know when we're talking about mental health in the caribbean you know versus you know, a place like canada or the u.s you know we have to think about the histories of those places right the u.s's history is completely different from canada both of those histories are completely different from the caribbean and even in the caribbean there's so many specific histories and contexts across islands even communities that you know, um, influence how people look at the world and how they accept health and develop understandings and ideas about health and mental health and mental health care. So you know, the work that I've done, I've been really lucky that I've been able to um, work on projects that are ones that are close to me in terms of topic. Um, but you know, I've always been really interested in like creating information about women and groups that are not represented enough and that I'm also connected to. Okay, so, so you mentioned before we were aware of, you know, there's a lot of different things to factor in when you, when you have to compare the two, but why do you think that there is 
such a lack of research as it relates to mental health in the Caribbean? I think it has to do honestly with resources. I would never, you know, everywhere I've gone in the Caribbean jail, somebody tells me that, you know, this information is, you know, relevant to them because they had experience in whatever or that, you know, they were interested in this, but, you know, there wasn't the information or that they've been, you know, collecting data in some sort of way. Like, I always meet people in the Caribbean who are interested or engaged in the work. But the reality is, is that amount of the kinds of opportunities that exist for researchers to do like real, deep, long-lasting um, research is not concentrated in the Caribbean. And that is a huge shame because there's so many talented people who are doing research in the Caribbean and who are capable of doing research in the Caribbean, but there's just not the, the kinds of resources that, you know, Canadian students have. And so that was something that I noticed right away when I was, um, you know, doing my PhDs because I did my PhD at U of T, the University of Toronto, but I like right away went to Barbados. I moved there for five and a half years. And um, while I was there, I did an exchange at the University of West Indies. I also worked at the University of the West Indies. And, you know, I noticed right away that people who were, you know, in the same year as me or, you know, at the same um, progress line as me just didn't have the same kinds of opportunities and access to certain opportunities that I had uh, through the university there. So I think it's really an issue of resources. I think if the Caribbean had a flood of resources for mental health, you would see so much amazing work done because people want to do it. 